What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Monday, July 24th, 2023. Tonight was a Cardinals game that felt like a loss, but the Cardinals actually did win the game, 10-6 to over the Arizona Diamondbacks. The reason I say tonight felt like a loss for Cardinals fans is because I think for a lot of folks, the reason to tune in and to stay tuned in in the latter innings of this game was to maybe get a chance to witness number 199 for Adam Wainwright as the Cardinals starter against the odds of many was able to get through five innings tonight, stretch beyond his prescribed pitch count. He very well may have been on his final batter there in that inning against Corbin Carroll, but got out of the fifth inning. The Cardinal offense had him in position to secure that win fresh off of the injured list. It would have been a nice story in an otherwise lost season for the St. Louis Cardinals. And, of course, the bullpen blew it. They blew it, and ultimately the Cardinals get the win 10-6, to but Adam Wainwright, of course, gets no credit for that. It's a no decision, as the 5-2 Cardinal lead eventually became a 6-5 deficit that the Cardinals had to work their way out of in the late innings with a five-run ninth which was punctuated by a bases-clearing double by Tyler O'Neill. So maybe he's doing some service there to up his trade value at the deadline. We'll see what the Cardinals end up doing with that. Not talking Tyler O'Neill trade tonight, but we will talk about a couple of other trade candidates, I guess. I use that term awfully loosely. One candidate is a guy that's not being traded at all, but is being talked about in the national media as though he's going to be potentially moved. And the other guy is a guy that I want to get into as to the potential for his trade candidacy and whether or not right now is the right time for the Cardinals to make a move as it pertains to Paul DeYoung. The first name, you can probably guess who I'm talking about, but I'm going to get that out of the way quickly before we get into the rest of the content of our show tonight. But Adam Wainwright, no win number 99 for him, but in the the brightest of news, at least Cardinals fans can rest assured that Adam Wainwright did look more like himself tonight. It's not that he's going to get back to the dominance that he put on display there from, oh, 2020, 2021, and for the majority of the 2022 season. Honestly, Adam Wainwright was really good. Go back and look at the numbers. The numbers will not lie to you. He was the Cardinals' ace for the majority of that period before kind of falling off toward the end of last season, had the issue with his stride length that he said he sort of let go by neglecting the diligence of his video review that he would have probably done at an earlier stage of his career. He took some of that for granted and, came into this season saying things would be different. But then, well, it's a variety of reasons I think that he has struggled this year. But the bottom line is that tonight Adam Wainwright looked pretty good. And I think if the Cardinals get that version of Adam Wainwright the rest of the way, fans will at least have something to tune in for every fifth day. In a season that is not going the direction of the Cardinals, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're probably staring down the barrel of their first losing season since 2007. Maybe the quasi-resurgence of Adam Wainwright would be something to look for over the final couple months of the season, and presumably, if they have him in there every fifth day, Wainwright should get to 200 wins. Didn't get to 199 tonight. I think pitched well enough to do so, but as a result of that bullpen, that's going to be a problem the rest of the way, especially as the Cardinals potentially look to sell off more pieces, and I wonder potentially if one of the guys that are looking to sell off might be the guy that blew the lead tonight in Giovanni Gallegos. As out of the bullpen, Chris Stratton, he struggled. Jojo Romero then struggled, and Gallegos wasn't charged with any earned runs, but allowed the inherited runners to score and so got the blown save. His fifth of the season, 
And I don't know, by now, probably like the 33rd of the season for the Cardinals. Don't quote me on that number. I stopped keeping track. But nevertheless, Gallegos actually gets a win in this game because the Cardinals reclaim the lead after his performance. And then Jordan Hicks coming on for the ninth. Not a save opportunity, but a lot of scouts, I would imagine, are in attendance there in Arizona. And so you might as well showcase him when you've got a chance to do it, although it wasn't the most efficient outing for Hicks. But nevertheless, he slammed the door and the Cardinals win it 10-6. to As we go, especially here the next couple of weeks on B-Shape Daily, or at least the next week plus, we're not going to have a lot to say, I don't imagine, about the individual games. I actually considered after the Cardinals blew that lead for Adam Wainwright, knowing that he wouldn't be credited with the win, I actually thought right then and there about starting the podcast, getting my recording out of the way. But I figured, no, let's go ahead and watch the end of the game so we are fully informed in case something happens, an injury or something interesting. And yeah, they had a comeback in the ninth inning. But doesn't it really feel to Cardinals fans? Let, let me know if you feel this way in the YouTube comments section. Like tonight was more like a loss than a win because a lot of you, you know, games on kind of the West Coast time here we're probably staying up late just to see if Wayno could get 199. And then after he didn't, it was like, yeah, I'm still going to watch it because I hate myself. But I'm not going to enjoy anything that happens, even if it's a five-run ninth inning that allows the Cardinals to win the game with some relative ease. I don't think Cardinals fans really had a lot of fun with that one. But let me know in the YouTube comments section, Exhibit A, how you felt about the game on Monday and whether or not you enjoyed the Cardinals winner over Arizona. St. Louis improves to 45 and 56 on the season, so they're 11 games under 500. Like I said, I don't think a 500 season is necessarily in the cards for these cards, especially after what's about to happen when John Mozeliak and his staff nuke the pitching staff the way that they need to do. Like Montgomery, Hicks, Flaherty, those guys need to be as good as gone. Otherwise, Mozeliak and his staff committed an unadulterated failure at the trade deadline. There's no excuse for any of those three guys to still be in Cardinal uniforms after the deadline. And don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not because they're not good Cardinals. It's not because they've not done a nice job this season. It is exactly the opposite of that. But in a season where the results don't matter as much as setting the foundation for the future, for the Cardinals to have tradable assets and not be able to move them would be a huge failure of this front office. And it should not be treated any other way. If John Mozeliak is talking to us on August 2nd, about how, well, these deals just didn't come together. Don't accept that. It should not be accepted. I have faith that Mosellock will do what needs to be done, and all three of those guys, including uh, Chris Stratton as a number four, considering his free agent-to-be status, should be all gone on other teams, even if the returns aren't mighty and don't completely change the landscape for the Cardinals going into 2024. It's got to be something. Otherwise, you've wasted an opportunity. Now, of course, as a result of that, the Cardinals are probably going to struggle. We've we've seen the pitching staff for what it is. It's not good, and it's only going to get worse as a result, but that is the name of the game when you are in a seller situation. The Cardinals have not been in this spot really since John Mozeliak took over, even in years where they haven't ultimately gotten the playoffs or been in contention at the very bitter end, which has been a rarity. But even in those waning Mike Matheny years, that 2018 year when Schilt took over, at least the Cardinals in those kind of soft sell modes that they were in, it's not like they tore down and got rid of 40% of their starting rotation and their closer, in essence, which is about going to be what they're going to do here. So it's going to be rough, I think, down the stretch for the Cardinals. But again, I still maintain, and maybe you don't agree, let me know below in the YouTube comment section, I still maintain that that is the course of action that is befitting of a team in the situation that the Cardinals find themselves at this point. 
But make sure you guys subscribe to the YouTube channel. Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. This is the Be Shafe Daily Podcast, also available in audio version on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please do subscribe through those mediums if you use them. If you have an iPhone, you probably have Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify. I happen to subscribe to Spotify and really like listening to podcasts over there. So all those are options in front of you. Appreciate you guys for checking me out on YouTube. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, like this video, and leave your comment below with your thoughts on the status in the state of the St. Louis Cardinals, and to take your support of this channel to the next level, check out patreon.com slash bshafer12. I am at bshafer12 anywhere you're trying to find me, including threads, which I don't know if that's ever going to take off. I was just thinking about this today that I sort of forgot that I had made a threads account. I don't really think it's anything, but the more Elon Musk tries to mess with Twitter or X or whatever he's calling it now, I guess we'll just kind of be on standby when it comes to that. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. When it comes to the St. Louis Cardinals, I want to get this out of the way early on in the show tonight. The Nolan Arenado stuff has got to stop. It probably won't. I don't think until the deadline rings on August 1st, it's going to truly come to a close. But it is crazy to me the way that these things get spun when it comes to the national media. And Alden Gonzalez is a baseball reporter for ESPN based out of Los Angeles, I do believe. And so I'm not sure if he's a Dodgers beat writer or if he does... uh, national stuff for them. I think he just writes generally about baseball and is a a great reporter. He does a great job. But I don't agree with the way that he characterized the Arenado situation. But again, he's he's possibly got some intel on this, and so I'm not trying to dispute any of that. But I am still going to stay pretty steadfast in believing that the Cardinals are not trading Nolan Arenado. And the way this was framed by Alden Gonzalez in a recent, uh, I think this is kind of a running piece they've got going at ESPN.com, Titled 2023 MLB Trade Deadline Tracker Rumors News Latest Updates is the way it's termed. And if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see a blurb there about the Cardinals stance at the deadline. And I believe Jesse Rogers is who wrote this little paragraph. He covers the NL Central, if I'm not mistaken, for ESPN. And I'll read that paragraph for you guys because it's relevant to our interest. And then we'll get into the Arenado blurb from Alden Gonzalez. But Rogers writes, the Cardinals will start sifting through offers this week. Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery are as good as gone. Hey, we agree with that here on the podcast. Unless Blake Snell is moved, Montgomery is going to be the best lefty starter on the market, which I think would be, uh, bode well for the Cardinals, obviously. Most contenders have some interest, including the Dodgers and Astros. That would be fascinating to see the Cardinals and Astros trade. That's not something that I don't I don't think that's really happened in recent years. Obviously, the whole uh, hacking situation uh, left some, some hurt feelings, I think, on both sides. But, of course, a major overhaul has taken place over there with Houston. This is one little blurb as I'm trying to get through the articles and the things written by the, the folks over at ESPN, interjecting my own thoughts. I will say this. The Cardinals should not let that pass get in the way of a potential good deal with Houston. They've obviously got a lot of talent in that system, and it's different players. And by players, I mean different folks in charge of the organization. The players are not the same as when all of the stuff went down with Chris Correa and the hacking scandal and Jeff Luno. Like Those people are all gone. So I would like to think that John Mozeliak, if a good deal is available for the Cardinals with the Astros, if 
Jesse Rogers reports that the Astros would have interest in Montgomery. I would like to believe, and I think Cardinals fans would like to believe, that John Moselak would not let that get in the way of a deal. But again, I think I'll be... The first time the Cardinals do trade with the Astros in a meaningful way, I think I'll be surprised to see it, which is not to say it will never happen. But again, I just think that's uh, would be an interesting fit given where the kind of history between those two teams sits at this point. Rodgers continues, St. Louis wants controllable pitching in return and could attach an outfielder in a package, which would make a lot of sense to a team that's a contender but could also look for beyond this year to say, hey, some of these outfielders are controllable, with St. Louis, I think Dylan Carlson would be fascinating with the Astros. Not to say that I don't think he'd be great with the Cardinals, but I think the Astros would be a team that would value his skill set. Uh, nevertheless, from the position player side, Paul DeYoung could make sense to be moved since he has team options over the next two seasons. What happens with Jordan Hicks is still a question mark per Rodgers. I think Hicks should be the most obvious guy to be moved unless the Cardinals are really hell-bent on thinking they can re-sign him. And Hicks said earlier this week when they were back at Bush, uh, was right there in front of his locker when he's basically said he expects to still be here and this is where he wants to be. But I think for the Cardinals, you're not giving him a qualifying offer and it's nothing against Jordan Hicks, but with the fickle nature of relievers, one minute they're on top of the world, the next they can't get anybody out. And that's not specific to Hicks, that's just in general. I would not be in favor personally of the Cardinals. Uh, I don't believe it would be a good strategy for them to sign Jordan Hicks to a multi-year contract because he's earning himself a heck of a lot of money on an AAV basis, average annual value, with what he's doing this season as the Cardinals closer. I think he can earn himself a multi-year contract somewhere else. He's still pretty young. He's got uh, the ability to take on a long-term deal and probably cash in on that. I think for wherever he goes, he'll probably be a good pitcher. However, I just know that the Cardinals' history with these types of contracts for relief pitching, it just has not panned out historically, and I don't believe that is the best allocation of their resources. That being said, I think they should spend heartily in free agency when it comes to pitching. I I don't believe allocating whatever it would be, 45, 50, 60 million to a reliever is necessarily the best course of action. That is a blanket statement. And then when you dig in a little more specifically to Hicks, you recognize that he's had some injury issues in his past. He's had some up and down performance to the extent that I don't know about a four, five, six year contract. I don't know what he'll be seeking. He and his agency will be seeking. But I would say, you know, Rogers says it's more of a question mark. I would say to me, the Cardinals should definitely be looking to capitalize on Hicks's value. I could make the case that it's never been as high as it is for those who have been paying attention in recent weeks and months. He's done a really nice job. That could be valuable to a contending bullpen. If I'm the Cardinals, I'm exploring with aggression the idea of trading Jordan Hicks. The Paul DeYoung one is is one that I want to definitely put a pin in here momentarily because that's the guy we want to talk about tonight when it comes to whether or not the Cardinals would pursue and, and how aggressively perhaps they would pursue a trade of Paul DeYoung here at this deadline, what the circumstances surrounding that would be and, and how those circumstances potentially lend to how realistic such a move might be for the Cardinals. That's something I want to explore tonight, but I want to get into this first from Alton Gonzalez from that same ESPN article, their MLB trade rumors tracker heading up to this deadline, which is now about a week away. That's what I want to spend some time on here momentarily. But before we dive into that, I want to give you another opportunity, remind you guys, if you are St. Louis Cardinals fans, you're in the right place for St. Louis Cardinals talk. We talk daily about this baseball team 
I post the podcast in the conversations right here to YouTube. YouTube.com slash at bshafer12 would be the URL where you can find my channel. Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer, is the name of the channel. I write for KMOV in St. Louis. I've done so since 2016, covering the team on a regular basis during homestands. In the past, I've done more travel to road games. That's something that I'm hoping to pick up again next year, but uh, I have a 10-and-a-half-month-old son, and I have not really done a whole lot of travel this year. That's been more the priority for my family, but still covering things from afar when the Cardinals are on the road. So I would love to have you guys jump on board if you value Plugged in St. Louis Cardinals content would appreciate you making our place a regular stomping ground of yours as a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Drop your comments below in the YouTube comment section. We will have live streams and the like as we go along here throughout the remainder of the Cardinals season. So definitely hit that subscribe button and get yourself on board. But let's talk now about Nolan Arenado because I've teased it long enough. Could Dodgers add all-star third baseman is the question posed by Alden Gonzalez in this article for ESPN. And he writes this, the Los Angeles Dodgers might be in first place in the NL West, but they're also one of the most needy teams heading into the deadline. They need starting and relief pitching. Okay, make note of that, Cardinals fans. And they'd also like to add a right-handed bat to their lineup, with position not being much of a factor. One name to watch here is Nolan Arenado. See, we already disagree, Alden and I. But he continues, the Cardinals third baseman who is owed a very reasonable $94 million over the next three years. The Dodgers have been long enamored of Arenado, 32, and they see third base as a need that they'll have to address in the offseason given their present construction. The Cardinals aren't expected to trade Arenado at the moment, but the Dodgers have the type of young talent, particularly pitching, to sway teams in a situation like this. Arenado has a full no-trade clause. I'll say that one again. Arenado has a full no-trade clause, but he grew up in Southern California, and the expectation is that he would waive it for a team like the Dodgers. Now, this is coming from ESPN's Alden Gonzalez. I do find it somewhat interesting that he is the reporter to put this out there because I could see a world in which Alden Gonzalez and Arenado have a relationship based on the things that are that he's put in there. Arenado is from Southern California. Uh, he is of Cuban ancestry, which I believe Alden Gonzalez is as well. Like I said, I don't know anything beyond that of their personal relationship. But like, is it conceivable that Arenado would waive his no-trade clause to the Dodgers if there was a move to be made? I guess I don't actually think that's completely insane to believe that would be true. And Alden Gonzalez is a good reporter, and so it's completely possible that that would be the case. However, I don't think the Cardinals are in any spot to rush to Arenado and ask him to do so. There are other elements at play here that I would say would make an Arenado trade not only unlikely, but darn near impossible to happen at this deadline. First of all, it's the Cardinals' desire to contend in 2024, that should be 1A of all of these reasons that we're about to list off as to why Arenado's not going anywhere. He hit an absolute tank tonight against the Arizona Diamondbacks for a home run, Arenado's 22nd of the season. He is still absolutely in his prime form in his early 30s with an 865 OPS, still one of the Cardinals' best players, and I'll say he is their best player. Paul Goldschmidt homer tonight as well, but with what Arenado does defensively at a premium position, which is not to slight Paul Goldschmidt's defense whatsoever, but third base is a much more valuable position defensively to be elite at. And Nolan Arenado is elite at that position. Don't show me defensive metrics. Don't show me outs above average. I don't even look at them. Don't care what they are. Being totally real with you, I know that he struggled earlier in the season. That's been something that's been talked a lot about. We have seen a different Nolan Arenado since the All-Star break. 
defensively. He has been absolutely out of his mind, putting on a clinic night after night, doing it at the plate as well. The Cardinals want to win games in 2024. They're not just blowing smoke and making that up. If the Cardinals are not pursuing the types of moves that would come from a qualifying offer for Jordan Montgomery, right? Keeping him through the end of the season, giving him the QO, and then letting him walk for a draft pick, a guy that is in high school right now or about to go into another collegiate season, and you won't see him until 2026, 2027. If the Cardinals are out front saying, we don't actually value those things at this deadline and in this upcoming offseason, we want players that can impact us by 2024, 2025 at the latest. And sometimes it's good to go ahead and source those things and tell you where I'm getting them from. It was from John Mozeliak's powwow with the media last week. It happened, I guess, a week ago today on Monday. And he was asked about what the Cardinals would be pursuing. And he said, we want guys that can help us in 2024. He said, 2025, under certain circumstances, we'd look at as well. But, and I quote him on this, 2026 feels like it's a ways away. John Mozeliak looks at 2026 and says, that's too far away to be prioritizing that in the way we're approaching this trade deadline, is essentially what he's saying. Which, to me, is the green light to, we don't care about those compensation picks for guys that we would extend the qualifying offer on. It's not as valuable as getting prospects or players that we can use within the next couple of seasons. And if that's the case, you're not trading prime Nolan Arenado to the Dodgers for whatever I would anticipate they're going to give you. And that's the other part of this. I said 1A was the Cardinals are looking to contend in 2024. The next step is, okay, what are you getting back? And Alden Gonzalez is right. When it comes to the young pitching that the Dodgers possess, I don't doubt that they've got guys that would be interesting to the Cardinals. To me, guys like Gavin Stone, who's got some major league experience this year but has struggled. Guys like Emmett Sheehan, or if it's Sheehan, I don't know the pronunciation. Another guy that's gotten a cup of coffee with the Dodgers hasn't gone great. Like, those are interesting arms if you're talking about a package involving Montgomery, Flaherty, Jordan Hicks. Not the same to me if you're talking about Nolan Arenado. Because if you're trading Nolan Arenado, you had better know you're getting some guys that are guaranteed studs for the coming years. And these pitching prospects, not looking good. I mean, again, Gavin Stone was one of the better prospects in baseball from a pitching side coming into the year. He's got a 12 ERA in a cup of coffee with the Dodgers so far this season. Guys like Dustin May have been floating around for a while. Really interesting guy. He's on the 60-day IL. He cannot be traded from the 60-day IL, if I'm not mistaken. So that's not in play. The types of names that I think the Dodgers would be willing to talk about, to me, it's a non-starter when it comes to Nolan Arenado because you have got to know that the guys you're getting are upgrading you for next season. That is the goal of making trades right now for the St. Louis Cardinals winning in 2024. And if you're trading away your best player for some fringe pitching prospects that could end up turning into ace level, like I'm not trying to diminish the talent level of a Gavin Stone and to talk about like prospect pedigree and things of that nature are what you're looking for if you're the Cardinals to say, can we find some guys that maybe are a little down on their luck right now, but in the long run, we still have a high view of them because the game has historically had a high view of them when putting together prospect lists and things like that. Totally on board with that. Arenado is a different situation because you are giving up a guy that you know would be not only with you for the next few years, but a primary piece of your ability to contend for the next few years. The Cardinals are not going to trade him away for some pitching prospects that are a little bit down on their luster, lost a little bit of their shine 
and the Cardinals could try and capitalize that, on that by buying low. No, you're not buying low if you're selling Nolan Arenado. The other part that I would envision for most teams, and maybe this is not true of the Dodgers, who have been kind of down on their salary. They didn't go out on a big spending spree last offseason. They picked up some guys like Jason Hayward that they were trying to rehabilitate the image of a Jason Hayward and have him turn into a capable player. And the Dodgers are usually successful with those types of endeavors. But nevertheless, the Dodgers didn't spend a ton to where now they could maybe take on some more money, I think would be the idea going into 2024, where they may be back in the market as a player in free agency. I'm not 100% exactly sure on what their luxury tax situation is, but I know that was something that they were trying to get under control a little bit for a year before maybe being able to reset some of those penalties and have at it once again, as they're known to do traditionally. But $94 million owed to Arenado over the next three seasons, I don't think the Cardinals could engage in any sort of trade deal where a team would try and hold that over their heads, because that is what the Rockies were experiencing when they traded him to St. Louis in the first place was the idea that that contract and those annual salaries were hanging over the heads of the organization in Colorado. And they didn't feel like they were on the verge of contending. And if you're not on the verge of contending and you're the owner of a team that's maybe a little cash strapped, or at least you'd like to, to put out to the public that it is, and you want to be a cheap MLB owner, then you can say, well, this contract is the first thing that we've got to get rid of, and we almost don't care what we get back in terms of player value and talent. Well, that's how you end up with the Rockies and Cardinals trade for Nolan Arenado, where the Cardinals did not really give up any of their top prospects in that deal. That's not the type of deal that the Cardinals would be looking to make, even if they were considering a Nolan Arenado trade. And so I just believe that even in the situation where the Dodgers said, yeah, we'll give you these multiple top prospect pitchers, and we'll give you some offensive punch to to bring it back as well because we know Arenado is providing a lot of thump in the middle of that St. Louis lineup. So as the Dodgers, we know we can't screw around with our offer, and also we're not going to hang it over your head that he's owed this money and and pretend that you can't afford to pay it and that that should have any bearing in a trade negotiation, which it should not from the Cardinals' perspective, even if they were going to entertain these offers. As Mosaic basically said last week, you're not saying anybody's off limits. You're always going to listen, but you also have a threshold in your mind of like what you're willing to even consider as a starting basis for a conversation. I don't personally believe the Dodgers would get to the point where a starting basis for that conversation would take place. I also don't think even if the Dodgers got there, the Cardinals would have much of a willingness to spend a lot of time and linger on that because once again, if John Mosellock is serious about 2024 being the priority, what you don't go ahead and do is trade your best player for 2024. And that's still in my mind going to be Nolan Arenado for the St. Louis Cardinals with where he is at this point in his career. Like I said, you can look at his numbers and 865 OPS, and that's with really struggling out of the gate to start the season. Uh, and maybe not even to start the season, but he hit that lull kind of there after a number of weeks where he went on about a month, a six-week stretch where he was not really himself what you traditionally see him doing. He is on top of the world right now with the way that he is performing at the plate and in the field. He's 32 years old and does not turn 33 until April. Arenado has several prime years ahead. The Cardinals have got to go all in on 2024. If you don't, and if you're willing to even entertain what's being discussed by some on a national level, then you do have to consider everything. You trade Goldschmidt as well because if you're moving on from Arenado, that signals the rebuild. It's not just like a mini retool this offseason. The one that the Cardinals have been saying is their plan. You trade Arenado, that signals something completely different to your fan base, and 
to be completely forthcoming with them, you would have to go a different route than the one you've described. You would be trading Goldschmidt. You would be trading away guys like Tyler O'Neill because what do you need him for next year? I mean, he's under contract for one more year as a, having one more year of team control and then no more. Like, you would be absolutely tearing it down to the studs. That is what the Cardinals are not going to do. They have been very out front about that, and if they go back on that, it ends up being a shock to the system, in my opinion, because they couldn't have been more clear about the way that was going to unfold. So do I sitting here think there is any possibility of Arenado being traded at this deadline? No, I don't. I do not see it as even a remote, faint possibility because it would have to be the type of deal that you just can't say no to. A true godfather offer where the Cardinals are getting a treasure trove in terms of young talent and talent that is ascending right at this moment in 2024, not waiting till 2026 to really see the benefits of those players and an overpay of epic proportions where the Cardinals are just going, well, this is a ton of talent and where the Cardinals go, oh, we're rid of salary, which should not be viewed as rid of salary. It should be viewed as now we can go out and spend even more money this offseason to retool the team. But at that point, when you go out and spend that money, you'd be looking desperately to try and replace the productivity of a guy like Nolan Arenado and say, how can we get a guy like that? Well, you have him, and that's why the Cardinals aren't going to do anything to change that anytime soon. It's just not going to happen. And if it does, you will want to tune into the podcast thereafter as we talk about it. Because I, I'm telling you, it's just not coming at this trade deadline. The Cardinals are looking to make a run at it next year. And if then it fails... I'm not saying that anything would necessarily be off the limits at that point. If the Cardinals are 35 and 50 halfway through next season, you're probably seeing Paul Goldschmidt dealt at the deadline and are out of the following winter. But I believe that John Mozeliak is ready to retool the organization in a way that it desperately needs. And they recognize that in the front office in order to make things better for next year and not have to have Cardinals fans go through another year of what we've watched them go through this season where the team is just not competitive, the team's got so many flaws that the front office could have dealt with in the winter and for various reasons chose not to, thinking that they were in a much better situation than the one that they're in. So bottom line to me, Arenado being dealt at this deadline would require the type of offer from the Dodgers where Dodgers fans would be going, oh, you're crazy for thinking that the Dodgers would give all that up for Arenado. Exactly the point. That's exactly the kind of offer that it would take to even get the Cardinals to think about budging off of their stance. As Alden Gonzalez even wrote, he's not expected to be moved. The Cardinals are not expected to trade him. That's because they are not going to. Yes, the Dodgers do have the type of young talent that could sway teams in this situation, but not this specific situation. The Cardinals are not going to approach Arenado to waive a no-trade clause because the Dodgers simply are not going to give the type of offer that would move the Cardinals and and force them to kind of change the direction that they have already stated would be the case for their organization moving forward. Not to mention that you don't trade a guy like Arenado for pitching talent because pitchers tend to get hurt, especially Dodgers pitchers. Like these young Dodgers pitchers, that's what's happened historically, which is why they are once again looking for help. They do an excellent job of developing these young pitchers, but to keep them healthy is another matter. And it just, it hasn't really happened historically, I don't think. And so the Cardinals to say we would trade Arenado for a group of young pitchers that are probably just going to be on the IL at some point anyway, because that's what pitchers do. 
It's not to single the Dodgers out. That's just the nature of the position. I just don't think that would be the way the Cardinals are looking to allocate their resources. And and they're looking to build around Arnato, not to ship him off for question marks. So I don't see any possibility of it happening, but let me know what you think in the comments. Cardinals fans, are you tired of weathering the storm on these Nolan Arenado rumors? Because I would imagine that for y'all, it's getting to be a lot at this point. Kind of exhausting, right? Exhausting to talk about it. So I imagine for Cardinals fans, it's exhausting to have to consistently hear about it. And especially from prominent national sources where it's the Dodgers being thrown out there because that kind of leads to it feeling like it has some more plausibility than I actually believe it does. But I basically analyzed and outlined my thoughts on that, and I'll let those stand as it is. But let me know if you have any other thoughts or questions or things that I maybe did not touch on when it comes to the potential for Arenado being moved at this MLB trade deadline by the Cardinals. Like I said, comment in the YouTube comment section below and get your thoughts out there into the universe. But let's spend some more time talking Paul DeYoung because that is what I wanted to make sure. I teased it last night on B-Shafe Daily. I wanted to make sure that I was able to get into it today. And by the way, last night's episode was about the notion that Wilson Contreras is on the trade block, according to Bob Nightingale of USA Today. And I think there's some veracity to the idea that the Cardinals would be looking to move Wilson Contreras if the right situation developed. But I went into some detail last night on that episode of the podcast, and that video is available as well on YouTube if you just scroll back one on the video uh, the video feed for this Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel, you'll be able to hear all of that. So if you missed it yesterday, make sure you scroll back and find it. But within that episode, I also teased that we would talk some Paul DeYoung and how realistic it would be for the Cardinals to potentially trade him at this deadline. Paul DeYoung has had a solid season for the Cardinals. And in a lot of ways, it came out of nowhere because I think people had sort of written him off based on the struggles that he had had in recent years talking about since 2020 OPSs of 671, 674, and 530, the OPS in 2022. Remember, he spent a lot of last season down in Memphis at AAA because of those struggles. Came back this year and looked, I'm not going to say like a completely different hitter, but definitely different from the guy that we saw hit 157 last year. He reminds me a lot of the guy that we saw 2020 and 2021 but with better numbers and more consistent pop and a little more consistent plate approach because he's hitting 232 instead of 197 like he did two summers ago. OPS is 719 for Paul DeYoung. There was a good portion of the season where it was closer to 750, and as longtime listeners of the show know, there was a Twitterer who said if Paul DeYoung would have a 750 OPS this year with at least 400 plate appearances, that guy would Venmo me $1,000. And DeYoung is only 115 plate appearances away, so I genuinely believe he's going to get to 400 with the way the Cardinals are using him. But the 750 OPS, he's got a little bit of a ways to go. Would need to pop a few more of those home runs to get it back to there. He's struggled more recently. He has played a ton. He could definitely use an off day. The problem with that is who's going to play shortstop when he needs that off day? That's kind of the way the Cardinals' 26-man roster is set up right now. And I actually do believe it could lend to the Cardinals just saying the pursuit of a Paul DeYoung trade is more trouble than it's worth at this point because they're sort of entering into the mode where, in a lot of ways, they're just trying to get through the rest of the season. It's not to say that they're looking to win. It's not to say that they're prioritizing a a bid to the playoffs because that's simply not coming at this stage. But they do have to finish all the games and do so with minimal embarrassment, I think would maybe be still a priority. 
So what does that mean? On the pitching side, it means they've got to have innings. They've got to have guys that can throw the innings and get major league hitters out, even if it's not pretty, even if they're going to allow some runs in the process, but they've still got to grit through nine innings in a game. That's what they've got to do like 60 more times or however many more times it is. Part of that is having a competent enough shortstop, and Paul DeYoung is very solid defensively at short. He's had some solid enough numbers offensively, but nothing overwhelming and nothing that I think is going to garner a lot of attention, honestly, at the trade deadline. But when you think about different contending teams that could develop or have already a need at the shortstop position and a guy that I guess you could say he's got defensive flexibility, although I question it because they haven't played him anywhere but short, even after coming into the season saying he would be their utility infielder. That never happened. Tommy Edmond became that instead in a lot of ways, and we just see Paul DeYoung at shortstop every single day. Whatever the reasons for that are, that is the way that it is played out. What do we think, though, Paul DeYoung's trade value would be? Well, I'll say this, probably minimal, unless he catches a little bit of wind and hits a couple home runs over the next few days, has that OPS looking a little better, has that slugging percentage closer to 450 than the 421 that it's at right now. He's not an on-base threat at just 298, and he's kind of a low batting average guy, but he can run into a home run. He's got 13 of them this season, and he's also known to play a pretty sturdy defensive shortstop. Not great range, but he's not going to make too many errors, and he's going to be solid for you there, and there are teams out there who I believe could potentially benefit from that with Paul DeYoung. But I do believe it's unlikely, I think, at this point for him to be traded. I think it would be a good move for the Cardinals to do it because I do believe that at a certain point, you should have Mason Wynn up here in St. Louis to see what he can do. If you are the Cardinals organization and you sold the fan base a complete bill of goods on what this season would or should be, and now you're trying to kind of make up for that fact, You can sell them the Adam Wainwright thing every fifth day. If he is continuing to be as competent as he looked tonight, that's great news for the Cardinals because what? They need innings, as I mentioned a minute ago, but they also need the fans to have a reason to care. Adam Wainwright gives you a reason to care every fifth day. He should be in the starting rotation the rest of the way, even almost if he continues to do what he did uh, their three starts in a row before going on the injured list on the 4th of July. Maybe if it gets that bad again, you can't continue to run him out there, but you throw him in the bullpen. You don't bother with an IL stint because his career is over in a couple of months anyway. You just throw him out there as many times as you can to give the fan base something and to give him something to continue to chase because I believe that he is a competitor and will want to keep doing that. But Adam Wainwright looked just fine. Five innings, two runs on a game that he was supposed to only throw 65 pitches, and they they squeezed him into the 70s just because they tried to get him through five innings when he had that lead. He was able to get it done, and the bullpen blew it. If he can go five innings, five and a third, and give up two runs, three runs, four runs, whatever, every fifth day the rest of the season, that'll be perfectly playable, and it'll give Cardinals fans a reason to watch. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I think another reason to watch could be Mason Wynn and starting to establish him with some big league credibility and some big league opportunity and have him know what that feels like. Because that would be a benefit to the Cardinals, in my opinion, going into a 2024 season when you do want to win and prioritize those things. 
a lot of the issues with the Cardinals this season, and there have been many of them, a lot of them on the pitching side, but elsewhere, when we talk about some of the runners with scoring position issues and just generally the team not gelling all at the right times, I do think, and this was mentioned, he brought it up, Arnado did, a number of times throughout the season, and, and Ollie Marmel we've heard from on it, and I believe Mosellac has had plenty to say about it as well. This is kind of a young Cardinals team in many respects. Yes, they've got a lot of veterans, and especially on the pitching side, in the starting rotation, I am not going to allow for, oh, this is a young team, because your rotation and your bullpen are two of your biggest issues, and there you're not especially young in either of those spots. But in the starting lineup with guys like Lars Newtbar, who's 24-25, Dolan Gorman's 23, Dylan Carlson's 24, Jordan Walker's 21, you've got a number of younger players that you're kind of ushering in, even with the way they've used Devon Herrera more recently, another young guy. They've got a lot of young players, I think, that are that were scripted. You know, Brendan Donovan's in his mid-20s. A lot of younger guys that were scripted for big roles within this lineup. And even though the lineup has been a strength, Cardinals are top five in OPS. They're, they're working their way up the board on runs scored on that list in MLB. Donovan's 26, so not maybe as young. But even Tommy Edmonds, like one of the more veteran most guys, and he's like 27. So offensively, I'll concede that they have a little bit of a younger team trending younger outside of the Goldschmidt and Arenado group. Added Contreras, who is over 30, but everybody else is, yeah, they're younger. Even Tyler O'Neill's like only 28, just turned 28. So definitely a younger team in that regard. But I think if that's something that you're going to lean on and say, well, we, we kind of had some growing pains because of that, maybe that is a sign to bring Mason Wynn up as early as you can to get him acclimated. Because I don't know for sure that the Cardinals in 2024 can have a bunch of success and can turn things around from where they are at this point if Mason Wynn is not a part of that. He's got an 803 OPS at Memphis. He's really starting to come along offensively, and defensively, he's he's everything kind of that Paul DeYoung is not. Flashy, huge arm, great range, just very athletic. Paul DeYoung is just very steady, not going to make the flashy play, but is rarely going to mess up the routine one. That's sort of the book on Paul DeYoung as a shortstop. Mason Wynn has a much higher ceiling as a shortstop defensively and offensively. I think he's got a higher ceiling as well, but don't mistake that for me believing that Mason Wynn is just flat out ready offensively for becoming a big league everyday shortstop because I don't know that he is for sure. And even when he is, I don't know necessarily that he is going to be a bonafide star at the plate at the shortstop position. He's shown some power in Memphis. Like I said, the 803 OPS is encouraging at this point. But if you figure that there will be some growing pains to the next level, and for a while this season, he was about mid-700s in OPS for AAA. It's definitely possible that you look at Paul Young's 719 OPS, and I'm not saying Mason Wynn would come by his in an identical way, but a 719 OPS for Mason Wynn for a rookie season, I don't think it's crazy to necessarily expect something in that neighborhood which is not overwhelming, and I think there could be some growing pains there. Or he could be, you know, shot out of a cannon and do amazing. I'm not saying he's not a guy that's a bright young star that could develop into a franchise player for the Cardinals, but just to heap those expectations upon him right away, maybe not so fair, which is all the more reason, in my opinion, forget the service time implications, forget all of it, which I believe, again, he's not going to play enough at this point anyway to accrue a full year of service in 2023, so really, I don't think you're impacting much in that regard if you just expect him to be a guy that once he gets to the bigs, he stays there for his whole career. The Cardinals wouldn't lose an extra year of eligibility or of team control or anything like that. 
I think you bring him up for the final couple of months if you're able to execute a Paul DeYoung trade at the deadline. We don't know what his value necessarily would be, but part of the appeal to me would be you got to give Cardinals fans something to watch and Mason win, even if he's not fully ready. I don't think it hurts a lot to take a confident kid like that, throw him in and say, here's what it looks like. And if you really can't do it and you're worried about stunting his confidence or his growth by just getting him at bats, which I think experience is probably the best thing for him. If you're really worried about it down the stretch, then call back Taylor Motter or Jose Fermin and let those guys be your everyday shortstop. And you're just tanking for the lottery pick at that point, whatever. But otherwise I just, I think that could be a benefit. Don't, believe I'm saying something I'm not saying about, oh, Mason Wynn is so ready to just be an offensive star in this league. No, I think he could just benefit from the time and that the 2024 Cardinals to get where they want to go. I think they're going to need him. And so I would look to expedite that process if I can come into a Paul DeYoung trade that makes sense. Let's talk more specifically, though, about trading DeYoung because the first impediment that I ran into is you don't have a backup shortstop on the roster. I think they'd throw Taylor Motter out there right now if they had to if DeYoung got injured or something happened there. But there's not a lot of depth there anymore the way that you thought there was. Tommy Edmond being injured is definitely the the primary contributor from that standpoint. But right now, the Cardinals are in a bit of a squeeze with their active roster. Arenado, DeYoung, Brennan Donovan. Donovan cannot play defensively. He could play shortstop if he were healthy, but he's not. He can't throw right now. Goldsmith's your first baseman. Nolan Gorman, also a little bit banged up, was not in the lineup tonight. And then Taylor Motter, He could play shortstop because they basically will say, go stand at shortstop, and that's where you're playing. So the Cardinals are in a bit of a a bind in that regard. I don't think they should let that bind get in the way of the idea that if a trade of Paul DeYoung makes sense right now, to go ahead and do it. You can have anybody stand there. You can call Jose Fermin back up and have him stand there. You can have Motter stand there. It really doesn't matter. Kramer Robertson's probably somewhere down there rolling around. I don't really know what his... uh, situation is more recently. I know he had been signed back to the Cardinals. You could bring him up and have him play uh, shortstop if he's still with the organization, which it appears to me on baseball reference that he is still down there with Memphis. I know he's played, played different positions. is not necessarily specifically a shortstop, but like you got to get into tank mindset if you're a Cardinals fan. And that would be exactly that. He's got a 600 OPS with Memphis. You bring him up if you've got to don't let that in, in like the lack of depth at the major league level, get in the way of, a deal of Paul DeYoung if it makes sense. There are contenders out there. Think of the Yankees, who've got basically six or seven guys with a, a sub-700 OPS in their lineup on a daily basis right now with Aaron Judge not back yet. They could absolutely use a guy like Paul DeYoung. Um, I think the Dodgers, Eldon Gonzalez mentions, uh, could potentially be a fit. If you're looking for stable shortstop defense and a guy that can run into 20 home runs a season and is going to low 700s OPS, He'll strike out a fair bit, but who doesn't these days in MLB? I think Paul DeYoung is a good fit for some teams. Now, the contract situation is interesting because if the Cardinals don't trade him, they're going to be on the hook for at least a $2 million buyout because the options that were alluded to by Alden Gonzalez in the ESPN article that we read from, 2024, he is owed $12.5 million on a team option. If the Cardinals do not pick it up, it's a $2 million buyout. 2025, a $15 million option, team option. If the Cardinals do not pick it up, it is a $3 million buyout. So the Cardinals are going to owe him some money regardless of whether they want to continue this relationship beyond this year. There was a time where when he was OPSing 750, 760, 770 even, was looking like an above average hitter for sure, playing the shortstop defense that he capably plays. It was like, man, 
for 12.5 mil, which is really only 10.5 mil if you have to pay the 2 million to buy him out anyway. That's honestly, you could do a lot worse than Paul DeYoung in 2024. I think, though, it's time to start the clock on Mason Wynn and have him be your everyday shortstop or at least splitting with Tommy Edmond or whoever happens to still be around. Maybe you go out and get somebody else for a lesser price tag that can round the infield group together a little bit more effectively and give you that flexibility that you need, depending on where you are with different guys and, and who you trade and who you don't. But there was a time for sure when I thought, yeah, I mean, basically it's a $10.5 million extra commitment to bring Paul DeYoung back for next year. And the way he was going, it seemed reasonable enough. I think he's gotten to a point, though, now where you kind of realize the bat is not going to be elite above average for a full season, and he's kind of having those issues. Again, I, I think it's a mistake of the Cardinals to continue to play him every single day, and for a while there, they acted like Tommy Edmond was ineligible to play shortstop, even though he was supposed to be the guy there to begin the season. Now that's not really the Cardinals' fault, given that Edmond's on the injured list, but nevertheless, I feel like they have run Paul DeYoung into the ground, which has been a problem that they've kind of fallen into that habit in past years as well. Here they are again. Who knows how much it might be impacting him offensively for the Cardinals lately. But regardless, the contract plays into it. And so if I'm the Cardinals, I would say, hey, to trade him right now means not having to pay him those buyouts. And maybe you save a little bit of money that way. Do you have to spend a little bit of money and pay the rest of his salary or part of the remainder of his 2023 salary to see him go? Maybe in doing so, you'd be able to net yourself a better player in return rather than just have it be a complete punt on Paul DeYoung. Maybe you end up packaging him with a pitcher and you pay some of the salary of DeYoung to juice up the return that you get in terms of a solid pitching prospect or young pitcher on the way back. I think it would make a ton of sense for the Cardinals to pursue that just because the way I view it, it makes more sense to go in another direction than Paul DeYoung for next year's shortstop spot. And as a result of that line of thought, you might as well trade him now and give him an opportunity, honestly, to play some postseason baseball and give your team the opportunity to find out more about the guys that you have, primarily Mason Wynn, who you might say he's not ready. Like Frank Cusimano asked, John Mozeliak, the question in the presser last Monday, and Mo audibly laughed out loud at the question, which I think he just was taken aback a little bit by it, didn't expect it maybe so early in the presser. It went on for like 30 minutes, and that was maybe the third question or so. Frank Cusimano's timing, got to love it. But at the same time, the fact that he was so taken aback by the thought of Mason Wynn being front of mind at this deadline maybe tells you that he's not. That being said... Paul DeYoung being traded would definitely change the situation. Now, did Mosellock seem to convey that there's an expectation of DeYoung being traded? I would say no, not by his body language or the way that he, you know, the way that he sounded in that video. I would say that he maybe doesn't expect that to be at the forefront, but I could see it again being kind of mixed into a, a multiplayer trade where the Cardinals end up getting the pitcher that they're looking for because a lot of the teams that you would say make sense, like the Yankees, like the Dodgers, to be trade partners with the Cardinals are still in contention for 2023, and therefore they should be interested in the rental pitchers the Cardinals have to offer. They should be interested in some of the position players that could be not only useful for this year's run, but for 2024 and maybe beyond that. So my bottom line on Paul DeYoung is it makes sense for the Cardinals to trade him. I think some of the injuries that they're going through on the middle infield right now could have them not pursuing it as aggressively as they otherwise might have. 
I think that would be a mistake, though, because of all the reasons that I mentioned. You can find shortstops, and it's not maybe going to be the most pretty when you get the guy in the batter's box, but you can find some guys from the minors or even outside the organization to bring in for a couple of months of tanking baseball and just say, hey, this is what it is. Everybody knows the deal at this point. It's okay if we don't get a ton of production from that spot until Tommy Edmond gets back, at which point you could put him right in the lineup. Or you can do the sensible thing and just call up Mason Wynn and have him get jump-started, get his feet wet, because you don't want Mason Wynn to come into a season like 2024 where he could potentially be needed to aid the winning potential of the St. Louis Cardinals, but then having it said that, oh, he's just not really ready for this level, he's inexperienced, he's got some growing pains to go through and all those things, when he could very easily be going through those in August and September. I'm not saying you get your growing pains out for two months and then you're done by playing in a non-competitive environment where everybody knows you're not doing anything in 2023, but I definitely don't think it could hurt Mason Wynn to get his feet wet in maybe a little bit more of a low-pressure situation. It's still the big leagues, as Tim McCarver would say. It's the big leagues, but it would be a different scenario that I think would allow him to ease in a little more gracefully than otherwise would be the case if you just decided for whatever reason to wait till 2024 because he didn't have playing time or whatever the case might be. Paul DeYoung, just another example of a guy that John Mosellock, if he and his staff want to get a little more creative with their approach to this deadline, I think could involve in some of these possibilities to make things really interesting. Position players that you can package with some of these short-term pitchers like Montgomery, Flaherty, and Hicks, and, and I'll throw Chris Stratton's name into the bunch as well because I think his ERA even after tonight is still sub four, and he is a guy on an expiring level of team control as well. Uh, no, his ERA is not above or is not below four. It's back above four now, specifically because of tonight. 4.38 is his ERA. But again, you can throw him into the mix on something. And if he's the worst guy in the contending bullpen that he goes to, he could still be an addition to a package that maybe doesn't light the world on fire. But again, I think makes sense for certain scenarios and certain teams with the role that he could potentially fill as more of a depth level right hander in a bullpen. So the Cardinals can get creative with these moves. I think DeYoung could be another example of how they could do it. And that even though trades maybe would be more difficult to imagine when it comes to the shortstop position as a result of their recent injuries, I think that would be a mistake based on how easy it would be to get around that if the right deal were to come to fruition. You bring up Mason Wynn or you just bring up, you know, Kramer Robertson, whatever. You bring up somebody, Fermin comes back up and they play more than you you wish that you had to have those guys playing, but you didn't expect to be 11 games under 500 going into August and September. So here you are. That's the that's life in the NBA, as they say. Let me know, though, what you think about all of this and the idea of a Paul DeYoung trade potentially coming to fruition. Is it something the Cardinals should be looking to do? How realistic do you think one ends up being? I think it could be realistic, actually, if the Cardinals would allow themselves to get there. But if you put me on the spot and said, do I expect one to happen? No, I, I do not expect it. But if it does take place, I'll credit John Mosellock and say, it's probably a sign that he's had a very active deadline if he's able to get far enough down the to-do list to say, hey, do we find a home for Paul DeYoung that makes sense for all sides? That would tell me that they are executing their trade deadline plan to fruition because it probably means those rental pitchers are all traded and they've been able to restock the farm at least in some form or fashion with the moves made ahead of the August 1st deadline. But comment below on YouTube. Let me know what you think. Make sure if you've enjoyed this video, that you subscribe to the YouTube channel, Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. 
which if you're listening elsewhere, you can type it into the URL now. It's youtube.com slash at bshafer12. Click that subscribe button. Click the like button on this video and any other video you may come across on my channel. And I appreciate you guys so much for doing it. By the way, Shafe Daily is the podcast that you're hearing. If you want to listen to it elsewhere like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and review on those apps as well. And you can always check out patreon.com slash bshafer12 as a way to contribute if you really want to support the channel. Thank you guys so much, though, for listening to this edition of the show. That is going to do it for now. We will talk to you next time on Shafe Daily. Peace.